Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Rampant Mumblings. Dear Lord, we've cracked through these this year, even though there has been a few gaps. And it's been a fairly good week with some momentous achievements, well for me and the website and the podcast. Not necessarily much to do in the way of tech, although I will be coming on in concluding well, semi-concluding, I suppose, my week of working with the iPad. But because it's been such a good week, I wanted to do something different this week. And I thought I'd play some music from what could possibly be the best advert in the world. Because not only does it involve a bread-based snack, which will be in the show notes, but it also involves the Muppets. So here we are. Hopefully I won't get to trouble this. Cue the music. It's the Giant Crumpet Show! <laughs> It's time to take a bite. It's time for giant crumpets on the crumpet show tonight. They're thick and super fluffy. Oh, I know what that feels like. It's time for giant crumpets. Dirty crumpy shooty doo. They're bigger than my grandma. They taste so heavenly. Yeah. I don't know why they're called giant. They look quite small to me. And how about myself toasting crumpet? Oh no! them for our breakfast. We'll eat them as a treat. We'll eat them with a couple watching Coronation Street. Now, I feel it quite pertinent just to uh, interrupt the track there for a second, because coming up next is one of my all-time new, all-time favourite jokes. Yeah! What do you call a dog made out of bread? A crumpet! You were warned it was a bad joke, but anyways, we're this far into the music, we might as well let it play on out. And now, our very special guest, Mr. Giant Crumpet himself, Jonathan Warburton! Uh, Oh no, uh, where's Mr. Warburton? So, is it true you're the world's biggest supplier of crumpets? It's time to hit the Arndale To get some bigger plates it's time to get them toasted. Oh, most sensational, inspirational, giantational, gravitational. This is called the Giant Crumpet Show. Mad for it! So what do you say, Johnny? Huh? That wasn't half bad. You're right. It was all bad. I prefer the other one. Yeah, where is Stallone anyway? Very oh. <laughs> crumpets, everybody. And quite frankly, if you're not amused by that, then you must really have a heart of stone. So what's put me in this good mood for a change after the, well, seems to be a terminal amount of misery on my part of not being able to do this, that and other, this, that and anything else? Well, winter is coming, Jon Snow. The leaves are falling from the trees. We're starting to have to wrap up a bit warmer. And it looks like hell has finally frozen over. And why do I say that? Because fibre is going to be coming to my little neck of the woods come December the 7th. Providing that the engineer turns up, which round here, well, that's going to be anyone's guess. I will be going from... Uh, I've, got to think, I've got to think about how I put this into the right speed. I'm going to be going from 9 meg down and 1 meg up to... 40 meg down and 10 meg up. Now, that's probably not that impressive for you over there in the Americas and those that live in big conurbations where you've had fibre and you've been that lucky 83% of the population that our government keeps banging on about. They want to get up to 95% of the population. But for us here, that's sort of like a revelation. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with it. I'm, I am actually thinking of go ahead and doing some sort of weird 
live cast streaming slash Twitch gaming, iOS, Mac gaming platform. Uh, I really, really don't know at the moment because I do have an awful lot of time on my hands. I might do the Watch Me Work website again. That seemed to be a fairly interesting experience. But uh, seeing as I did have a... Well, I might, if, you have, if you tried uploading anything or streaming anything with just 100 kilobytes... Uh, to to work with it's not uh, a pleasant experience so that's happening so sorry to make the show all about me but the good news is that i've also managed to sort out my hosting problems if you've been following the show over the last couple of weeks you know that i've had a heck of a problem with my old host and i'm so happy to say the word old i am no longer part of the media temple slash GoDaddy empire which just seemed hell-bent on trying to kill my website it was getting that bad even though i was using cloudflare i was getting 503s 502s couldn't access access the website trace routes just suddenly stopped working out of nowhere and they said oh well we've just been to your website and it's working so there's no problem then close the ticket And this was like the fifth time I submitted a ticket, went through, showed down all the diagnostics, told them that I tried two different ISPs, three if you include my mobile phone provider, my next door neighbor's computer, different computers. I even went on a Windows PC and (laughs) tainted. Well... I maybe shouldn't be so. It's. I've got to say, I've used a, um, a Microsoft Lumia thing. Uh, my partner in Tesco, she's just got one. And uh, it's not a bad phone at all, really. Um, it's. I've got to say, I quite like it as a, a mobile interface. The only problem is, is that, well, you really can't do that much on it, but browse Facebook and Twitter and check your email. It's a platform that I think uh, has got very good potential. But anyway, coming back to the whole hosting thing. And so I was sat here on Thanksgiving and we don't uh, we do not do that in the UK. Instead, we're all frantically waiting for midnight to come around so we can start all this um, Black Friday shopping nonsense, which, oh, I don't know, Amazon have had Black Friday week and they seem to have some good deals with nothing really that I would write home. And so I thought, right, now I've lost about three quarters of my traffic, so I'm way, way, way below. I know that I haven't tweaked anything, I haven't fiddled, I haven't done anything like that. Something has to be going on. And so I gave Media Temple one last chance to take a look, go through the logs and do something. Instead, oh no, there's no problem here, move along. So that was it. So today... I did my research, I went onto the Reddit, I had a look around, and now I'm a proud customer of Cloudways. Now, Cloudways have given me a server that's one, uh, it's a one-core, uh, sorry, let me try that again. It's a one-core system with SSDs and plenty of space, plenty of bandwidth. I haven't really gone into too much details with it. I know it's pretty much a like-for-like spec for what I had, but man alive, is this thing blisteringly fast. I mean... I've trans- I transferred the website, uh, and that was a whole, whole nightmare because it turns out if you don't know what you're doing with DNS stuff, you can get yourself in a bit of a pickle. Now, to be fair, I already knew that, but it didn't stop me going ahead and giving it a bash anyway on my own. But the result is, after what I would think is 26 hours of fighting things, getting things migrated, waiting for propagation, purchasing SSL certificates, sorting out a C name, a record, 
having a blind panic that realizing by moving host, I didn't actually have any email because you have to buy that separately. And then going out and finding a decent, reputable email providing solution. The site has now moved hosts. It's blindingly fast. And in even more good news, I've changed the theme. I've tweaked it. I've been able to put on some caching stuff. So right now, if you go to essentialmac.co.uk, you should find it absolutely blisteringly fast. But this gives me one problem. I haven't got to stress about the website being slow or erratic anymore, at least touch wood. I haven't anyway. So now I've just got to concentrate on getting the... um, the most important thing done, which is content. Now, the good news about this new theme and the new look website is that I can have what's called full width posts, which means that when I go into depth and I take lots of pictures, you don't have to click on them to expand them. Instead, they'll just be there. So hopefully I can move on from the past and move on from all those issues that I've been having and actually start writing some content. And I know that there's one person out there, a Mr. John Nemo, uh, who's anxiously eating my next few reviews. So that seems just as good as a, a segue. It's almost like I've planned this to go straight into Nemo's hardware store. So John, once again, over to you. While Mark was out of commission doing all of his mutant ramblings, Nemo's hardware store was picking up inventory, and our shells are overloaded to bursting. So we're going to double up and give you two powerful solutions to your portable and local-based, power-based charging. They both come from a company called EasyAC. It stands for Easy Accessories. The company name is E-A-S-Y-A-C-C, EasyAC.com. And the great thing about their website It does have purchasing links for UK, Germany, US, Japan, Italy, Spain, France, and Canada. So once you find the link for one of their products, you can find out what it will cost in your country. Their prices are exceptionally low. The first item is the EasyAC second generation brilliant 10,000 mAh power bank. It's a portable USB charger. It uses USB charging for the output and input. And it's exactly the size of a standard size iPhone 6 or 6S. It's thin. It's narrow. It's very attractive. It holds its power for a long time. And I press a little orange button and it tells me I've got four out of four units of power remaining. So I can charge up my iPad pretty much from zero all the way to the top, and it tells you iPhone 6, three and a half times, Samsung something or other, two and a half times, iPad mini 1.0 charge. You get the idea. 10,000 mAh is a lot of power. So it's small, it's narrow, it's attractive, it's well-built, it's durable, it's rugged plastic, and check out this price. I'm in the U.S., so I click on buy at Amazon. Price is... Oh, baby, $18.99. Let's say I'm in the UK, where Mark is, or that's where he claims to be. UK, buy at Amazon. Hallelujah, £12.99. It's an attractive, slim, gorgeous, versatile charger that goes everywhere. It will charge up your phone many times and charge up your iPad pretty much from start to finish. Check it out at this price. Buy 10 of them. Give them out for holiday gifts and you will be a hero. Well done, 
Easyac. Second product, same company, Easyac. This is called the Super Speed USB 2.0 OTG Hub. And it's a four in one docking station for charging, card reader, hub, and OTG device. I better look up what that means. I never heard those terms, OTG. And for the moment, I don't care, but I have this little dock in my hand. On the front, it says Easyac. It's very lightweight in your hand, it's made of a rubberized plastic. At one end, there's a slot for a TF card, whatever that is. And just beneath that is a slot for an SD card. So you can charge up and transfer data using your cards right into the side of the dock. In the bottom, there's a hole where you can put a full-size dock USB, the old type of Apple dock connector, up through the bottom. And you can slot your phone or your pad right in there. So it's got a nice slotted spot with an indent for putting in your lightning or your traditional dock connector for charging it while it's sitting up and using it. And then on the back where the main event is, an on-off switch, a DC power port, and it comes with loads of cables you need for all your charging purposes. And there are one, two, three USB 2 outputs, one USB in, but the best is over on the right side. And you'll see this when you go to the pictures on the website from our show notes here on this episode. And there's a 5-volt 1-amp, which has red for some strange reason, and a 5-volt 2.4-amp also in red. So that's for simultaneously charging your iPhone and your iPad. So it's hard to think of a device or a port or a fitting or an interface that's in use right now that cannot be accommodated very comfortably, attractively. This comes in black or white, and they have very good pictures on the website, very good detailed pictures. The people at EasyAC have done a wonderful job of high-quality products at exceptionally competitive prices that are versatile and allow us to power up and charge and connect our equipment in a multitude of ways. So poke around their website for some of their other products. So we've got two fewer items on the shelves at Nemo Hardware Store, but I bet I've got at least two more when I'm back next week. Thanks for listening. As always, John, thank you very much for doing another Nemo's Hardware Store for us. All the links to the products you'll be able to find in the show notes. Yes, I am aware that the show notes aren't clickable. That's not my fault. That's the host that I'm using at the moment, but that hopefully might be changing soon. And also, did you know that if you do use the links that we provide in the show notes, you are helping this very podcast? By using our link, we get a very, very, very small kickback from Amazon. And best of all, it doesn't affect you whatsoever. The the price doesn't get up, so you don't have to tick a box. You don't have to opt in or anything like that. We simply get a very small commission amount from the final product. Uh, product price so the price doesn't go up it doesn't change when you get to the checkout you're not going to see anything that you have to do all you have to do is click the link and make a purchase and it doesn't have to be that product if you use that link and you go through to amazon and purchase anything at all it could be a rubber duck i've seen someone buy what they bought recently wooden spoons measuring spoons a cookbook uh, a rubber ring and the dinghy were all purchased via our amazon link which is which i find absolutely amazing so there we are. You can go through the link and it's all in the show notes. So back on with the show. As you can probably hear by the audio quality of this episode and hopefully less clipping, less background hiss and a few other audio things that kind of didn't go 
well, let's say according to plan altogether, I'm back at the desktop. I've got a Dusty setup, Audio Hijack Pro, which are my two main tools that I use. And I'm recording, I should say, with my lovely Shure SM58. Now, this doesn't mean I've admitted defeat, if anything, far from it. I just realized that... Well, I think it's my knowledge that's stopping me from being able to do a decent podcast on the iPad. Um, John has kindly sent me through some links for high noise, sorry, high noise pass filters, low noise pass filters, uh, setting a compressor, setting a noise gate. All of these things I've sort of dabbled with, but I still sort of twink, tinkering with trying to find the setup in my sound. And what I also have found is that there is a way that I can connect up my ever so trusty, lovely, short SM58 microphone to my iPad with a battery powered XLR interface, which I believe has something called Phantom Power, which is something I believe I need for this microphone to actually work. So. That sounds all right, but then it means I'm carrying around an iPad, a mixer, uh, what else I have to do, my headphones, the XLR cable, and then obviously then I'm going to have to carry around a small uh, desktop microphone stand. So it means that it's not going to be a completely sort of unpack within a few seconds and get going rig, which is what I did last week. But then I found last week it was my own fault for the first five minutes of the audio sounding a bit echoey because I wasn't close enough to the microphone. But I think it sort of passed after that. So, I mean, I'm, I could go with the Samsung Meteor mic, but I've swapped from that because I think that's a cardoid or dynamic. I forget the two. It is late at night on a Wednesday and I'm going to do a load of driving tomorrow. So that's probably why I'm not completely with all my facts today. Uh, but and needless to say, it's a really, really good microphone. Yeah, I could hook it up to my iPad and get going. It's just that I found it wasn't quite there for what I wanted to do, and I moved away from it. But I might give it a try just to see if I can play with the settings and tweak it a little bit. Back to the blogging thing that I've been trying. It's not only just been me that's had the problem with the WordPress uh, application. Now, you would think a company that is invested in making typing well, it's easy and feature-rich as it possibly could within the constraints of an iOS device, you think the one thing that you could do would be able to type properly. And as I said last week, there's a horrendous amount of lag, and it's not just on the Bluetooth keyboard, it's when you use a screen as well. Thanks to some people in the Slack chat room that I've been speaking to, the Blogo um, chat room. Hi there, if you're listening, by the way. It turns out that it's not just me. It's a bit of a known problem with the app itself. So quite how they're sort of, quite why it works on the iPhone, but it doesn't work on the iPad, I'm not entirely sure. But at least I know I can do 80% of what I want to do. It's just that the weight that I'm placing on the final 20% is quite heavy. Speaking of WordPress, there's now a native app on the Mac, and it's not too bad, especially for a version 1 release. If you've ever used the iOS version of WordPress, you'll be familiar that it's got a very sort of expanding, collapsing menu interface. It's fairly responsive, but it does lack a couple of basic features. Now, before I go into that, you can manage all of your websites. So if you have more than one WordPress-based blog, whether it's self-hosted or hosted with WordPress themselves, you can manage that from one interface, which is really, really good. You can see all your stats, all of your insights, again, just as if you would on the iOS device. In fact, it looks like that's where they've borrowed heavily from the UI design. 
So when Tim Cook says that there's going to be little in the way of convergence between iOS and Mac, I think WordPress pretty much weren't listening at this point and just said, well, there's some things that we can take across. And I think they've done a good job. The main editing interface is exactly what you'd expect if you've ever blogged with WordPress. Nothing has changed. The only weird thing is, is that for the life of me, I couldn't find the spell checker or how to add a nofollow reference without having to go into HTML view. Now, I know that's not the end of the world, but it, you know, again, it's just one of those little niggly jobs that you just really would prefer not to have to do Yeah, and just get on with the art of writing. So that's well worth a try. Now, my favorite blogging bit of software is called Blogo. Actually, just to take a very quick step back, sorry about that. I've just realized that when you use the WordPress app, you do need to have a WordPress.com login. So if you want to fire up and take a look, then it's probably only worthwhile if you have a WordPress blog. Anyways, back to Blogger. Now, I've been using Blogger for the best part of a year, and it's been the closest sort of experience to, I'm not going to say desktop publishing or anything like that, but a decent enough experience of blogging on the Mac. Now, for the last year or so, it's sort of been in, it has, it's a, well, let me, let me clear something up. It's a stable release. So anything I say is pretty much fringe cases of me using it and doing weird things in running multiple blogs. It's a really good app. It's more than worth the $7.99 a month, uh, $7.99 a month, the $7.99 uh, purchase price because they are, and they do provide this thing that a lot of companies like to say they provide which is called fanatical support. It's well worth going and checking out. I'll put that in in the show notes as well. Quite how they're going to get on now that WordPress has done this open source thing, I'm not entirely sure. It does have a couple of neat features like being able to, what they call, mirror your content. And this is something I'm not entirely sure about. It's basically... What mirroring does is it will basically copy your blog post to another blog or to Medium. Now, that sounds like a good idea to populate same sites with the same, yeah, with the same content, but I don't know if that's a good idea to copy your content from, let's say, your WordPress post into Medium, because doesn't Google downrank you for saying, oh, well, you know, although this is your content, it's still copied content, so both of you get a bit of a penalty applying to you. And so I'm not quite sure if I want to take that risk. Um, Medium as a platform looks very, very interesting. Like I said, Blogo is integrated with that. You can publish um, your posts to Medium, but you can edit them. And that's not a limitation of Blogo itself, but more of a limitation of the Medium API. Now, I wouldn't mind, and this is a really good feature, but the thing that bugs me is that, like WordPress, there's no uh, inline spell checker. And I think, again, that's something to do with the, the pseudo WYSIWYG HTML view that they're using. But once again, it's a, a little feature like not being able to have a nofollow. Now, whilst I appreciate they have things like a roadmap and say, this is where we want to go and this is where we want to be, I just can't help but think that all of this time analogy they're putting into all these big features uh, like you know, Medium and all these other things, you know, why not just add the small little gotchas and you know, the low-hanging fruit? Oh, dear Lord, that's the second corporate saying I've said in the last two episodes. Oh, this has got to stop. But you get what I mean? It's like, you know, 
sometimes, yes, it's great to follow your vision and you have a dream and you become mono-focused and you do what you want to do, but sometimes it just pays to step back and go, you know what, let's just do something for what the majority of people are going to use because, yeah, it's a really good function, like I say, and this isn't to rag on them, this isn't to slag them off, anything like that. It's a really good idea and Medium's a really good platform, but I just kind of think that the engineering resources that have gone into putting that up there could just be better spent well with something like a a target box and a no follow box but yeah then again what do i know there is probably a reason to this which i am not aware as i said in the last show i don't think we as bloggers really do acknowledge the ipads other than to like write all these stories to say, oh, how the iPad Pro is failing, how the iPad and how tablets have failed. I don't think we help because we don't link to those uh, those stories or those apps that are better on the iPad. And again, this is one thing I do throw squarely back at developers to say, well, tell us what the differences are. As I said uh, last week, I'm looking for somewhere to rent and on the I- on the iPhone, it's not a bad experience. It's as good as it possibly could be given the amount of searches and filters and everything. You don't feel like you're constantly swiping backwards and forwards more than you're actually doing something. But on the iPad, it's so much better because I can look at a map in full view. I can zoom into an area, click on search, and because it already has my predefined filters, it finds those houses in that area. And I can just, so basically, I can look anywhere in the UK with ease. I don't have to keep going back, typing in a postcode, clicking search, looking around, going back and repeating ad nauseum. So, and also, I think. Because the iPad market is smaller, this is where I think applications could really, really shine. If the effort was put into them, I wouldn't pay. I wouldn't mind paying more at all for an app. Uh, you know, as long as it's something more than oh, well, we redesigned the UI for the you know, for the iPad, which is great because you're just kind of rejigging UI kit if you're not careful, which just seems to be what happening on a few apps, but. Thank Lord we've escaped this uh, two times resolution for phones that, sorry, for applications that weren't designed for the iPad and just blew up and were all horrible and, uh, and, and jaggy. But this is where we would have to then be careful that we don't have a two tier system. But I don't see any, uh, see any way around it because we already have a two tier system now, I think, on it because the sort of apps you get on the desktop are more fully featured than the apps you get on an iPhone. But yeah, they're more or less the same price. Or if anything, they're a little bit more expensive on the Mac App Store. So why can't that be the same with tablets and with the iPad? You know, it's there's more power there. There's more screen real estate. There's more things you can do on it. So why don't we shift our change our way of thinking to say, well, let's put, you know, let's pay a little bit more for iPad apps and really get the usage out of it. But that's just my two cents on that particular subject. So I've just been listening back to my own comments there and I've been thinking, well, do I sound a bit selfish? Am I writing this off because I'm unhappy because it doesn't do this for me and it doesn't do that for me? Or am I just frustrated because I'm just pointing out what should be the obvious? And the argument that drives me absolutely bonkers is when people say and reviewers say it's not designed for that, it's not supposed to do that, it's not built for that. And it's like, well... 
Why not? Why do we hide behind that? Because at the end of the day, you know, when I, when the you know, when iPhone first came out and people were saying, oh, yeah, the phone isn't designed to browse the web, but now uh, we pretty much take it for granted. Like I've always said, 66% of all of my traffic comes through a phone. Oh, the iPad or tablet insert name here isn't designed to do copy and paste. Engineers found a way around it. It's the, that's my point. It's those who want to find a way around and create a solution will create a solution. Maybe it's us as consumers not firing back at developers to say, well, why doesn't it do this? Why can't we do that? Why can't I resize an image? Now, thankfully, there is a bright side because I hopefully do believe that Ferrite, with just how much press it's been getting in all of the major tech blog posts in all those websites, may start a trend. Now, it's not cheap. or actually, it is cheap. It's free. But the real power comes when you spend, I think it's $14.99 to unlock all its features. And you know what? I would pay that in a heartbeat if I knew how to use the features, if I'm going to be honest with you. But that's my whole point. We they That was a developer who saw a problem and came up with an idea. So, for example, when you're podcasting, you need to do a heck of a lot of scrolling backwards and forwards. On the iPad, there's a lovely, lovely, gorgeous area which is bigger than the trackpad we can scroll left and right from. He's worked out that by double tapping, single tapping, holding and pressing, triple tapping. You can do those things like if you cut a bit of um, if you cut a bit of audio and you've put your audio into different segments, by triple tapping, it selects all of the audio segments from that playhead onwards, so you can drag them or down the line to where you've made that cut. Whereas previously, what you'd have to do is you'd have to go and select everyone manually if you use GarageBand on the iPad and then move it across uh, to edit. So that's why they tell you, by the way, if you are going to edit uh, a podcast and do it where you split all the audio up into chunks, edit from the end, not the start. Not that I learned that lesson a week or two ago. Yes, lessons learned, lessons learned. I do have an article coming out about this, which will be out just as soon as I can get the, the last bit of proofreading done. Once again, thank you to Atsiranak, who is part of the Mac and Forth chat room, is a Twitter follower who's been helping me out on, the, on this article. And if you have any feedback about the podcaster show or anything else, then do feel free uh, to get in touch. You can get hold of me at Ocean Speed on Twitter. Well, I think that pretty much almost wraps it. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. I've just remembered. So this week I've been playing with Blockless. Now, Blockless is a way to access TV or streaming or video on demand services that you might not be able to access just because of where you live. So, for example, me here in the UK, I can't watch or sorry, I should say I used to be able not able to watch American Netflix because you have all those pesky um, what's it called, usage rights and licensing restrictions and all that sort of stuff. But with Blockless, I can. I can even watch ABC, Fox, Sci-Fi and a multitude of other channels. I've been putting that through its paces and hopefully next week I might have one of the community managers coming on to the show to talk about where it came from, 
how they created it, the ups and downs of using the services, why you should use a service. This isn't going to be a, a paid placement. This isn't going to be a product pitch. But I thought, well, you know what? It's a good service. It's a good bit of kit to, you know, to, to use. And I thought, well, rather than me sort of taking his words and regurgitating them, I'll get him on the show. We can have a bit of a chat. If you have any questions about Blockless, like uh, does it affect your browsing? Do they have any privacy issues? Does it slow down? any DNS requests, anything like that. If you want to shoot them over to me via at OceanSpeed on the Twitter or via the website essentialmac.co.uk and use the contact form there or email me, uh, again, via the website because I haven't got a catch-all address, then please do and I will ask him and we'll hopefully get him on the show in the next week or two. Also coming up, I've got a bit of a mega review going on just to go through the hardware that I've been using to watch TV. I don't have a TV license, so I'm limited to my online boxes. So I'm going to be doing a sort of semi-shootout between the Apple TV 2 and the Apple TV 4, uh, a Rasplex, a UView box, and the... Oh, what was the last one? Oh, blast the Sky Now TV box. Uh, I'm going to be shooting them all on, I'm going to be reviewing them based on not just content, but the usage, the experience, and you know, the quality of the stream as well. So that's going to be coming up as well on the website and on the podcast. I'm also now a paid-up Amazon Prime subscriber. Thanks to Black Friday, I managed to get £20 or roughly $30, I would imagine, off my Amazon Prime, which I intend to be using well now, because as I'm recording this, it's officially Black Friday. So I think on that note, I hope you, I hope you Americans over there who have been listening and are the main listeners, hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving. And once again, you can get me via essentialmac.co.uk. You can follow me on the Twitter. You're obviously listening to this stream via iTunes probably, but if you're not, it is available on Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, Listening, uh, and basically pretty much anywhere else, really. We're even on Google Music whenever... Sorry, Google Music Podcasts, whenever that's released. So until next time, thank you once again for tuning in. Please take a moment, if you can, it really is appreciated to leave a review, rate the show or anything like that, because it's just nice to hear from you, basically. And so until next time, have a good one, stay safe, enjoy the weekend. And until next time, ta